A very warm welcome this evening to Beckles Baptist Church and our evening service. If you're tuning in online, it's great to have you join us. My name is Tom Fenning. I serve as the pastor of this church. I'm going to be leading our service before we then hand over to Peter Skerritt. Our assistant pastor is going to be preaching as we continue to work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. Um, as we do with each of our services, we'll just go around the room, welcome people by name, uh, not least so that we can wave to one another, feel like we've had at least some measure of interaction, but also so you tuning in online get a sense of who you're tuning in with physically as well as virtually. So um, we'll start down. Thank you, Doug and Josh, for playing for us as we have come in, helping set our thoughts on the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. Esther, lovely to have you here. Peter, we look forward very much to you preaching in a little while. And then Kev and Nikki, welcome. Um, Barry and Linda, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Toby on the front row. Well done. Paul and Jane, who have had a service where you've not been very busy. Thank you for all you've done in recent weeks. Then Jack and Brenda, welcome. Lovely to have you here. And then on the desk, who've done, they've done a double shift or triple shift. Um, Charlie and Anna. And Nick, thank you for serving us so well as you've run things back of house. Um, Alan and Julie, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Um, and Adrian and Jane, who were Sunday School Dream Team this morning. Um, so thank you for serving our children, looking after them. Beth, great to have you here. And then Jill, who's been registering people as they've come in, along with Roger. Um, Deirdre and Liz, welcome. And then we've had Malcolm and Kelly, making sure that our temperatures are the right the right degree, and making sure our hands are clean. Isn't it good to meet together? Isn't Jesus good that he loves us and draws us into a family? We're looking forward very much to hearing from him. And we're going to begin our service by reading some verses from Philippians chapter 2. You don't need to pick up a Bible. They're going to come up on the screen, and I'm going to do some bits, and you're going to do some too. Can I encourage us to stand as we do this um, and encourage us as we read these verses? Please don't yell just speak in a normal kind of voice. Um, I get to do the blue bits. You get to join with me for the red bits. And here's a passage that speaks of how the Lord Jesus is the glorious Lord who humbled himself to die on a cross and then was exalted by God to the highest place. Philippians chapter two, it begins. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Together, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please do stay standing as we pray. Father, we lift our voices to you in praise and worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. It amazes us that he took a willingly lowly place to be born into poverty, to surrender himself to death, even death on a cross, so that we might know forgiveness. We thank you now. He is exalted to the highest place. And our Lord Jesus, we meet together this evening because of you. We meet because we want to worship you together and we pray that you would help us fix our gaze upon you. By your spirit, would you fill our hearts with joy as we think of all that we have because of you? And would you establish, strengthen and encourage us as your people as we gather both in the building and tuning in online? We give you our thanks and all of our worship and plead your blessing. Amen. Do please take your seats. Um, and as you're seated, um, can I encourage you please to pick up a Bible um, and join with me in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1. Liz Watts is going to come and begin our reading for us. 
and we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 21 from verse 1 through to chapter 22, verse 5. And Peter Skerritt will come and help finish off the reading once Liz has had enough. Right. On page 293 of the Church Bible. David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech, the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread to hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Not one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. Uh, now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the Valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Continue with the same verse. Verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servant of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered round him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herah. Do keep that reading open. Uh, we're going to be looking at this chapter and actually the next chapter, but we felt that that's quite some chunk to read all together. I'm keenly aware that we desperately need God's help as we come to this passage, and not just to understand, uh, but to take it to heart. So let's ask for his help again. Father God, we thank you for the presence of the Spirit amongst us today. Thank you that he knows the thoughts of God and reveals them to us, teaching us 
spiritual truths. We want to be taught not just in the head, uh, but in the heart. And we know that we can't do that work, only he can. We pray that you might grip us, comfort us where needed, and convict us where needed. But cause us to walk in faith and trust this week because of what we hear today. Amen. Well, one of the activities that we love to do uh, in JAM, which is like a midweek youth group, we've not been able to do it for a while, is um, scratch art. Um, thank, thank you, Beth, for digging one of these out for me. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this before. You get a kind of shape, something like this. And uh, it's a black exterior. But what happens? You get a little pencil scraper. Oh, this one's not going to do it. Ah, oh, yeah, there we go. So you scrape away the dark exterior, and then you have this kind of multicolored design underneath it. I think there's one on the slide as well, Nick, if we can have that up. Um, that is really a picture for what we're thinking about today. We have, in this passage, we have a dark exterior, multicolored underlayer, and something to scratch it away, scratching beneath the surface. We have this dark black exterior. As we read the passage, both chapters, we have Saul on the, on the rampage, David on the run, and we're beginning in the next few chapters of this book, what you might call, uh, what has been called David's wilderness exile, his, his wilderness years. Like every Israelite before him, Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, the, the people of Israel, they've been forced out of the land uh, to come back at some point, but not yet. And so we have this kind of dark surface of exile in this passage. And as it speaks to David, or it speaks of him, this man in exile, we'll find that this passage will speak to us, a people in exile. It, it just speaks of this dark black color that much of our experience may well be. It was David's experience. It will be our experience, especially at this time. It's hard to think how much darker and blacker it could seem, our circumstances. So we have like the scratch on a dark exterior, but we need to scratch beneath the surface because if we don't, we just are left with a black exterior, dark and doomy. Scratch underneath it, dig beneath the surface, and we'll find that these multicolored comforts, this bright picture appears for us. And the passage is going to do this uh, today. It is really our, our, our scratcher, <laughs> our scraper. It will help scratch away this dark surface of exile and reveal two particularly multicolored comforts for us. And the first one that becomes plain it's in these first, the first chapter is this. Our, our God has got a tight grip on us. Our God has got a tight grip on us. Now that becomes clear, actually, as we, we follow the, the life of David. David on the run in, in chapter 21, especially, as he goes from place to place to place to place to place. You bet you lost track of where he goes. But at each stage, we see God has got a tight grip on him. Firstly, a knob in verses 1 to 9. David turns up at the tabernacle and he's empty-handed. He's on the run. But as he leaves, his hands are full. When David arrives first off, unsurprisingly, Ahimelech the priest is trembling. He's terrified because to be seen with David would be to be seen like siding with public enemy number one. David is on Israel's most wanted list. And if Ahimelech is seen with him, well, he could be seen to be with him. And a neighbor could easily turn an informer, which, surprise, surprise, is what happens. Verse 7, we just dropped a hint. Doeg the Edomite was there. Gulp. He'll come back later. But for now, David's in luck. See, he's given the, the bread of the presence, which was this bread which was meant to be reserved for the priests and for God. And then he's given the sword of Goliath which presumably David himself had dedicated as an offering after he'd beaten Goliath. But what we see is David coming with empty hands and leaving with hands full. Added to this, if you take a step back and you see the bigger layer of what's going on here, the tabernacle was meant to be this representative of heaven on earth. And so we have David provided with bread from heaven and weapons for war from heaven. Is that ringing any bells? He is God's people, and he's being equipped, fed, armed, equipped to do whatever God calls him to do, wherever 
God calls him to. God's grip on David is tight. But it doesn't stop there because he ends up in Gath. He goes sharpish, verse 10, he's on the run. And he ends up in Gath, which I hope that left some of you scratching your head thinking, what? Because Gath is Philistine land. Gath is Philistine territory. Gath is the home of Goliath. (laughs) Yeah, Goliath, the guy that David killed. And David must have been so desperate. It must be desperation that took him in there. Why else would he go to the place where Goliath was born as the person who killed Goliath, carrying Goliath's sword? He must have been desperate to get there, to go there in the first place. But pretty soon he's desperate to get out of there. Yeah, they, they, they begin to realize that they're, they're, not, they're not stupid, these Philistines. They think, hang on a minute, this guy. But it's in verse 11, the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David? Like, David, the one who killed Goliath, isn't this him? And they're right. And so David ends up in trouble. He ends up in front of Achish, and he's fearful for his life. And so as you do, he plays the fool. He starts kind of, um, damaging doors and public property, dribbling and drooling all over his beard. He plays the fool, and he plays it very well. And Akish wants nothing to do with him. But the question here is, what was it that got David out of this sticky situation? Because on the, on the surface, it looks like it's just his Oscar-worthy acting. Well, great job, David. You got yourself out of that one. But David was saying, no, that's not how I got out of it. In fact, David wrote two songs, two psalms, to show us how he got out of it. And David's answer, particularly in Psalm 34, is very clear. No, it wasn't my acting that got me out of here. It was God's answering. God answered me. That's why I'm safe. Don't turn there now, but let me just read some snippets from Psalm 34, which is headlined of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. Now, that's a pretty big clue that this psalm is written about this moment. And what is it that David credits for his escape? He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called and the Lord heard. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. You get the point. David is not writing a song about how great his acting was. It's a song, a psalm, all about how great it was that God answered him. He didn't think he'd get out alive. It was a sticky situation. And he got out alive. Why? Because God's grip on him was tight. God answered him. He didn't just equip him. He gave him his ear. And I think just to pause here, there is something of a lesson for us as a church, I think especially as self-professed evangelicals. You see, when we find ourselves in tight spots wondering what we're going to do, I wonder whether our um, our tendency would be to start acting, (laughs) to to move to activity before asking. Don't get me wrong. They're not mutually exclusive. Asking something from God and acting for God are not opposites exclusive. But David is very clear in this passage that for all the activity or acting, in his case, in the world, It would have come to nothing if he hadn't asked God and God hadn't answered him. David writes a psalm, Psalm 34, that we might not forget that as we come through this, that asking God ought to be the first step before acting for him in anything. Because David relies on God's tight grip on him. That's uh, in Gath. But we move very quickly on again to the caves of Adullam. In chapter 22, verses 1 to 2, we're told that David left in verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. And again, if nothing else, we've been told as he goes from place to place, God has got a tight grip on him. Firstly, the very fact that he got from Gath 
to Adullam is a miracle in itself. We mustn't forget that. But even the fact that people begin to come to these caves of Adullam shows that some people have seen there's something about David, that God has got his grip on this man. There are a ragtag bunch, to be fair, how they're described in the Bible in this passage, verse 2. These people are in distress. Circumstances are difficult. They're in debt. They are running out of personal resources. They haven't got it in themselves and discontent in heart, in life. They are fed up with a lot they have got. They are a ragtag bunch. Uh, One other version of the Bible um, paraphrase puts it like this. Uh, All who were down on their luck came round. Losers, vagrants, misfits of all sorts. But ragtag bunch though they may be, they do see something that the elites in Israel don't see. They see that this is a man in God's hand. That God's hand is on this man, David, and they want that. And they see it even if others don't. And so they come. And it won't take a genius to realize that the caves of Adullam are very much like the Church of Jesus Christ today. A ragtag bunch. I could read that again. Vagrants, misfits, losers. But that's the plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're told that God loves to, to kind of gather this kind of people. Uh, weak people, lowly people, humble people, nothing people, nobodies, to show that he's everything. And it would be easy for any one of us to, to, to turn our nose up at this group, this bunch. If you were to walk into the caves of Adullam, and you, you might well turn your nose up wondering, who, who are these people? Maybe with the church. Maybe you're looking, uh, you're tuning in online and you've kind of seen the church and you look in and think, I don't really want much to do with them. Maybe you're inside the church, perhaps especially if you're in the church. You've seen the church kind of warts and all. Yeah, <laughs> a misfit bunch. We are weird, some of us more than others. We are definitely weak and we have, I'm sure, done things wrong. A misfit bunch. And it would be easy to turn your nose up and think, well, I'm not sure I'm really that keen on that. But again, this is just one of those kind of dark black exteriors that we need to, to scratch away and scratch beneath the surface and what's God doing. Who are we really? Just like in the caves of Adullam, this misfit group of people, like the church, these are the people chosen by God with their chosen king. These are misfit people with a magnificent king, a merciful king. And like them in the cave, we are the same. We are just waiting for him to come back one day to rule, to return to, and to restore everything that will be, everything that is wrong right now. And in the meantime, we trust him with our debts, our sin, our distress, and our discontent. We're we're like that. That is who we are. We are this bunch of misfits in the cave of Adullam. But we've seen one thing, that our king is in the hands of God and will have success from God. We'll come to that in a moment. The question I hope that some of you are asking, whether in the building or online, is what if this is the king and these are his people, how do I get in on this future? If he's coming back, how do I get in? Well, the one qualification to be in this group of people with this kind of king, the one qualification is to know that you have no qualifications, but to come anyway. Because I know that some people online or some people here will be thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've done so much wrong. That's exactly who should come. Yeah, yeah, but I've got so many problems that I need to sort out before I come to Jesus. But that means you're qualified. You've got to come. <laughs> That's exactly who he's come for. And if he's saying, well, yeah, I think I'm all right, thanks, but thanks for the offer. That is to miss the point. Because Jesus says, you do need to come. And to do anything else is just to reject him and refuse him. And it's called treason against a king. God's hand is tight on his people. David here and anyone who joins with him. And that would be extended to us. But finally, David moves from the caves of Adullam. He uh, carries on to Mizpah in verses 3 to 5. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that before. But Mizpah was, for David, it seems a great place. A great place to shelter both his parents and himself, 
it seems to put many miles and big walls between him and Saul. What's not to like about that? And then David leaves. Why? Because in verse 3, he waits to see where God directs. And then in verse 5, when God directs him, he goes. Now, why would he leave the safety of a fortress miles from Saul to go to a forest a bit nearer Saul? Because David is beginning to learn after all this journeying and traveling. God has got me tight in his hands. He's got a tight grip on me. That is this kind of comfort that is coming up for David. And I trust for us as we look at this story. And do you know what that means for us? It means that tomorrow morning, you could wake up with a very black background, blacker than this. The surface of your circumstances could be dark and miserable. You could have, we could have complete lockdown. We could have no social contact. We could have no church meetings. We could have no end in sight. Uh, maybe the government ministers could resign. We'd have no leaders leading us through it. No vaccine that might possibly come. We could have relational breakdown in the meantime, bereavement or sickness or illness. Whatever it would be for you that is a dark background, a morning tomorrow morning, Still in that situation, each one of us will be able to scratch beneath the surface and see that there is a magnificent color, bright comfort from that simple fact, very simple, our children could repeat it, that our God has got a tight grip on us. If nothing else, you've got to be able to learn to scratch beneath the surface for whatever comes. That's just the first part of the passage. Saul, uh, well, David is on the run. But the second part of the passage is very much the same. <laughs> we have a dark exterior and everything looks glum. We have Saul on the rampage. Chapter 22, verse 6, what did we meet of Saul? Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand. But if David's been on the run for the first part of the passage, Saul is on the rampage. And we are going to just scratch beneath the surface to see one more bright comfort for us. Much shorter, much simpler is this. Our enemies have lost their grip on us. God has got us tight in his grip, but our enemies have lost their grip on us. Perhaps that doesn't feel the case right now. Think about the big three that Christians face, sin, the world, and the devil. They seem pretty alive and active to me. Yeah, I wonder if you've experienced that this week. Uh, just to give you a few examples, maybe uh, there is that um, the sinful habit or addiction that you are unable to break, it seems, and you've done it again. Maybe you've got a friend or family member who is completely trapped in a spiral of sin or suffering that they cannot break out of doesn't look like it's lost its grip. Look at churches around the world who are suffering big time. Governments persecuting them openly and without shame. Those are just some examples. Uh, again, you, you, hold, uh, you hold what you thought were pretty traditional Christian views, right? Uh, but it turns out that no one wants them to be your views at all anymore. And you feel like you stick out like a sore thumb. Our enemies seem like they have not lost their grip, but they have. Just to, to kind of explain the principle here, um, when I was training as a teacher uh, in our educational training, they were talking about behavioral management. And one of the things they were really keen to impress on me and my um, colleagues as we trained was the simple principle in classroom management that you need to get angry before you're angry. Okay? Basically, the, the premise was, if you find yourself lashing out with your tongue in anger at a pupil because they really got to you, you've lost control. If you've lashed out, you've lost control. Much better just to be able to switch it on a little bit earlier than you're actually angry so that you can pretend to be angry, raise your voice, tell them off, shout at them across the classroom, but not because you've flipped and lost control. 
because you're the one turning the switch on. It's not them pushing your buttons. And that's what's really going on here. Because we're going to see that the fact that David's enemies lash out and lash out they do, it looks like they're in control. But they've lost complete control. Saul has lost complete control. Our enemies have lost their grip on us. And just to recap the story, we didn't read it, but we'll go through it very quickly. It doesn't look like Saul, David's enemies, God's people's enemies have lost control. For one thing, Saul is throwing these senseless accusations around here, there, and everywhere. He first accuses his men uh, after accusing his son. And then he accuses all the priests. You're all with David. You're all against me. You're all conspiring together. Senseless accusations with no ground to them. Saul's senseless accusations. Doeg then comes along with shameless ambition. Verses 9 to 10 particularly, you can, I just imagine him with this kind of smarmy look as he kind of steps in whispers in Saul's ears. He turns to the informer and he dobs Ahimelech in. He says, he, he was with David. And what's going on there effectively is Saul is um, getting a leg up from Ahimelech by treading him down. He's saying, oh, this is Doeg is. Doeg is basically saying, yeah, uh, let me tell you what Ahimelech did. And as he pushes him down, Doeg goes on the rise. It's a chance for him to have this shameless ambition. Psalm 52 is written against Doeg and calls him someone who grows strong by destroying the weak. He kind of shines, stands out in Saul's eyes, but he's a disgrace in God's eyes. So we have Saul with senseless accusations, Doeg with shameless ambition, and then the two of them join together with ruthless efficiency. Verses 17 to 19, please look down with me and read together. Verses 17 to 19, the king, Saul, ordered the guards at his side Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day, he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. Ruthless efficiency. These enemies are lashing out big time. Not even a sheep is left. But if we scratch beneath this dark exterior again, we see that it comes from a position of weakness and not strength. Saul is lashing out because he's lost control. Only Doeg is willing to help him. Saul has lost control of his kingdom, his throne, his son, David, and now his men. He's lost control. And only Doeg's with him. Now, if this all sounds wishful thinking, if this, this talk of saying to you that tomorrow morning you can wake up and see whatever dark exterior or surface of circumstances comes up, if we're saying that we can turn that scratch beneath the surface and see these bright colors of comfort, that sounds like wishful thinking to some. Too good to be true. Yeah, sure, you wish that were true, but it's not. Well, come back with me to the darkest, blackest moment in history. When the Son of God was crucified by the sons of men, the author of life put to death. The Lord of glory subjected to humiliation and shame. We can't even get our heads around how dark that was. That is a dark backdrop. Scratch beneath the surface and what comforts come up for us. The Son of God, tight in the grip of his Father, able to not just rise from the dead, but walk out the tomb, rise to the heavens, sit at the right hand of the Father, with all things under him. Tight grip, you bet. And then secondly, Satan, lashing out, but only lashing out because he's lost complete control. Hear how the book of Revelation describes him. Revelation chapter 12. This is Satan, our enemy, filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He's this dragon who's furious, fuming, spoiling for a fight. 
but he can only lash out because he's already lost and he's fed up with it. Your life may well feel like this, not like an elephant, but black, dark, and impenetrable. And if it doesn't yet, it will. As a church, maybe, that'll be the case. But we have learned to scratch beneath the surface so that there are these multicolored, wonderful, bright hopes and comforts for us. They're very simple, almost childish, but they will sustain us. The fact that our God has us tight in his grip more than you can possibly realize. The fact that our enemies have lost complete control more than we realize, more than we feel. Well, praise God that just in this small passage, he has helped us just to learn how to do that a little bit. But we need to pray that he'll help us every day, that you might wake up tomorrow, be able to scratch beneath the surface and to see bright color. So let's pray that we do that now. Father, we are desperately needed of your help to do that for us. We thank you so much for the, the cross of Christ. Is that a wonderful proof that this is all true, that you have such a tight grip on us and you will never let go, and that your enemies have lost complete control, have no hope of gaining it again. Please, when we're discouraged, when we're downhearted, when we are facing dark times, Help us to see the colors of those comforts even tomorrow morning. Father, we pray especially for those uh, who are struggling and downcast right now, uh, that they would know very clearly that they are held tight in your grasp tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to turn now um, to listen to a song. Uh, hum along if you're in the building at home. Please feel free to sing along. These are truths that we must to dwell on us, sit on and uh, let sink in. Uh, the song is, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In fact, the whole of one to two Samuel is about this Lord who is a rock, steady and steadfast. Um, so use it uh, to mull over what God has just said.
Father, that song expresses some of our wonder in knowing you, our wonder having been saved by your Son. We praise you that it speaks of the Lord Jesus conquering the grave. We thank you that it reminds us that he is our rock and our redeemer, how we love him, how we are thrilled to know him. Thank you that we are found tight in his grip. We thank you that we can trust him, however black we might feel that life is now. We bring you our praise and our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We um, have mentioned a number of times, and many of you may have um, popped through town on a Friday morning and seen the market stall there, um, which um, Peter and Kev um, particularly have been involved in running. They've been um, ably assisted by Ruth and at points Jane and Mary um, and Doug too. Um, But you might not yet have had a chance to wander through town at the right point, and you might think, what goes on? What does it look like? And how can we pray as the market stall, on the market stall, they seek to speak to people about the Lord Jesus? So on Friday, Peter wandered around with a phone, shot a video, and here it is. This is what the market stall looks like. I hope it helps us understand and pray. Hi, everyone. It's Friday morning, which means it's market day. And we just wanted to take a brief moment to show you what we get up to, what it looks like. Uh, We've been really encouraged by our times at the market so far, where we've seen lots of people stop by, uh, pick up books, pick up Gospels. Uh, Lots of people come back again and again each week just to ask us questions, to talk to us. And we've got to know uh, a number of regulars in the town. Uh, But we're just aware that as we ask you to pray for us, it's quite hard to pray for something that you can't picture. So we're going to take a quick trip up to the market and you can see what we do. And I hope this will encourage you to keep praying for us. Thanks. Let's go. who's keenly involved in the market stall and loves it, loves getting to speak to people about the Lord Jesus, um, is going to leave us in prayer for the ministry that goes on there and also for some other things too. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in this country we still have the freedom to run a market stall. And we do pray, Father, that we will see fruit as a result of that market stall. As we sow the seed, that you will reap a great harvest, Lord. Pray particularly for people who come back again and again to ask questions. Thank you that um, some from the market still have been to our church. Pray particularly for them, that you will continue the work in their lives. And we pray, Father, also that you will give us um, stamina, give us patience. And we pray, Father, so much that you will give us um, a strong witness in that community. Thank you for the contacts with other stall and market holders. Thank you that we exchange um, greetings. We buy coffee for each other. Thank you that we're friends. And we pray that that will also reap a fruit. Father, we thank you that lots of people are on our prayer list as a result of the market stall. Father, we pray right now that books that have been taken will be read.
I might as well also turn at this time to those from our fellowship who are at school, who go to school. We pray for those in our congregation, in our fellowship, particularly who are teachers. Having received a text this morning from one of my ex-colleagues saying how much harder it is at the moment than of normal, we do pray for patience and strength for those particularly in our congregation who are teachers. Father, give them great wisdom in these very difficult times and help them to show Christ to all that they work with. Pray from the children for our congregation as well, Lord God, who go to school. We pray for them. We pray, Father, for protection for them. We pray that for protection from those that they are mingling among. And we pray that in their young lives that they will be a witness to, to Jesus, to show Christ to their friends and also to those who teach them. Please, we pray for protection, Lord. We ask, Father, that during this time, which seems to many of us so surreal, we pray, Father, that we will come, that we will trust you, and that we will grow in our lives. Amen. One other individual just to mention, um, who we should pray for too, is please do continue to pray for Bertie. Um, who's in hospital. Um, um, they're waiting for an MRI scan tomorrow after um, he was taken unwell on Thursday, suspected um, mini stroke. So we're going to pray for him and Gladys and the family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Bertie and Gladys. And thank you for their long-standing part that they have played here in this church fellowship. Thank you for their firm faith in the Lord Jesus. And we want to pray very especially for Bertie while he's in hospital right now that you might draw very close to him, encourage him, strengthen him. We pray that as he waits to have an MRI scan, just to get to the bottom of what's caused him to be unwell, that that would be helpful for the doctors working out how best to treat him. We continue to pray for Gladys at home, that you'd keep her safe. Pray for uh, Michael um, and Russell. Pray also for Kev and Joe and Polly, the wider family, that you would please, please help them as they support Gladys. May they each trust you and know your comfort and your kindness. Father, we commit this family into your hands, and in a moment's silence, just name to you people, maybe that we're particularly aware of, or just knowing the blackness of life and struggles at the moment. Might you please, our Father, hear our prayer, our silent prayer for some of these folk now. Thank you, Father, that you love these people that we have committed to you far more than we do. So we gladly entrust them into your hands and plead that they might know your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our time is almost through. Now there are, however, um, a few notices um, to mention to you before we conclude our service. Um, the first is to say that to help us respond to what we've heard this evening, there are some songs on a playlist on YouTube uh, that you can sing away to your heart's content at home. We encourage you, please, to avail yourself of the opportunity to sing, even while we can't meet, um, even if that's singing while no one else can listen, the Lord can hear, and it does your soul good to sing. So I encourage you to make use of uh, the playlist for the evening service. There's one also for the morning service on our church YouTube channel. Um, then, so events for the week ahead, please do note that our home groups, those are our small group Bible studies, are meeting on Thursday and on Friday in the daytime. Your home group leaders should have been in touch with you about them. If you're not part of a home group and would like to be part of one, um, do come and speak to me and we'd love to see if we could fit you in uh, somewhere. Uh, we're going to be looking at a bit of Romans 5, the passage that I preached on this morning um, in our home groups. Then winding our way forward to next Sunday, um, our services are much the same then as they were today, uh, 9.15 and 11.15 in the building, both of those with creche and Sunday school happening. We'd love to see you. Um, but the 11.15 services, not only in the building, but also live streamed. You're very welcome to tune in then too. Um, that's happening on our YouTube channel. And then our evening service again will happen same time, 6.30 here in the building and live streamed to. Um, please do plan to join us. Um, if you're able, we'd love to have you tune in online and we'd love to have you here in the building. 
And one very brief advance notice, which we mentioned uh, this morning, we mention again now, is that uh, we are hoping and planning to be able to relaunch JAM after half term. JAM is our after school kids club um, and plans are afoot for that to happen. Um, those with families especially, please do note um, that we are going to be sharing a video in the week and opening up registration. Places will be limited and Jam will need to look different in order that we can comply with the necessary regulations. Please be quick to sign up. We'd love as many church families to be there as they can. Um, and please do continue to pray for Beth and Peter and the rest of the team as they continue to plan for that. Those are all the notices I think uh, we need to mention. We're going to close with some verses uh, from the Bible as a prayer. Um, so let's bow our heads and let's pray. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Um, may you know God's favour and kindness to you this week as you serve him.